Timothy chapter number four. You noticed that he read the whole chapter this morning. That was not by mistake. We are gonna, we're going to do the, the flyover view, if you will, of 1 Timothy chapter number four. I, I told you several weeks ago that we were gonna go through the book of 1 Timothy, not as much expositionally or explaining each verse and expositing each verse and dealing with each verse at, the, as an, at an individual level, but we were gonna take the theme of the book, which is um, how we should behave ourselves in the church and, the, and this battle that's taking place to, to properly behave ourselves in the church when it comes to relating to each other, when it comes to relating to other people who are in the world, um, what we communicate by our actions and by our attitudes and things of that nature. So that's why we're gonna deal with the entire chapter four this morning. And again, it's gonna be a flyover. So at, at some point in time in the future, as the Lord leads, we'll come back to 1 Timothy and we'll do more of an expositional um, unpacking of that book, but that's not our purpose um, right now. We just wanna see some things that are profitable for us in regards to functioning as a church. You'll remember in uh, chapter number three, uh, the, letter, the letter goes to and moves to the idea of leaders or mentors, and it gives us a list of, of qualifications for leaders and mentors in the church. Um, we called, I, I also referred to them last week as qualities of people that we want to be following, okay? And the Lord obviously has leaders and mentors that he has put in the church. He gives them the um, position, the role of elder. And, but, but at the same time, there are leaders and mentors that we all have in our, in our lives. There are people that we follow, that we listen to, that we um, seek counsel from and direction from. And, and in 1 Timothy chapter three, we have a list of qualities that are required for there to be a proper um, leader-mentor relationship with, the, with those who are following them. In, in other words, what the Apostle Paul says in chapter number three is that there has to be certain um, qualities about the leader's lifestyle, his life. There's gotta be certain evidences, um, witnesses, testimonies about that person that prove that they are effective leaders. And not, not just that they're effective leaders, but that they're leading in the right direction. In other words, let me say it this way. What 1 Timothy 3 says is that we're going in a certain direction. It's to live a life of gospel peace and quiet and a life of love and service, right? That's what 1 Timothy is about, living a life of gospel peace and quiet, love and service. So we ask ourselves the question, are the mentors and leaders that we're following leading us to gospel peace and quiet, love and service? because that's where we're going. If I, if I determine in my mind that I'm going to this goal and my leader and my mentor is going to this goal, I have a problem, don't I? Okay, so I have to evaluate. That's what, that's what um, Paul is telling in chapter number three is, is look at a mentor's family, look at a mentor's relationship with his wife, look at a mentor's relationship with people who are on the outside Look at a mentor functioning in his daily life and, and make sure that there's evidence, there's a testimony that he's going to this place that that's where I want to go. Or, or maybe a better way of saying it is, is that's where God wants me to go. 
Because ultimately the reason why we need mentors is because we often veer off track from going to the place that God wants us to go. We often um, swerve, if you will, from where we need to be. So that's what the Apostle Paul does in, in chapter number three. He gives us that list of uh, uh, qualities or qualifications, if you will, um, to look for in a, in a mentor, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a leader, someone who can give us that guidance that we need to get to where we're going, okay? With this in mind, chapter number four, it, 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 it somewhat expounds on this, and it just simply, the basis of chapter number four is this, that mentors will fail you. That's the basis of chapter number four. Leaders will fail you. Mentors will fail you. That's why in the first few verses, he, he, he comes right out and says, um, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. And he's referring back to chapter number three. There are mentors, there are leaders, there are people in position of leadership who, who will depart from the faith, who, who will not lead us in the direction that we need to be going in order to accomplishing God's will. This is a caution, the entire chapter, um, the entire fourth chapter of this book is a caution that this is capable of happening because your leader and your mentor, whoever it might be, is a human being, right? Right? We have leaders and mentors who are human beings, and because they are human beings, it is possible for them to fail. True? Maybe even more than possible, maybe even likely that they will fail. So that's why Paul gives us this caution in chapter number four, is to be, is to be uh, mindful of the fact that mentors and leaders will, will fail. Some will fall away. This is something that is seen, uh, laid out for us consistently in the word of God. Matter of fact, in chapter number one of 1 Timothy, Timothy talks about two men by the name of Hymenaeus and Alexander, and these two men made a shipwreck of their faith. And you, you can kind of get an idea of what a shipwreck of your faith looks like, right? Not a good thing. In other words, their faith, their faith crumbled under the rocks and the things that were there. They hit some difficult times and everything collapsed. And they made a shipwreck of their faith. And the apostle Paul says in chapter number one that he gave them over to the, to the devil, ultimately that he might uh, test them, almost like 1 Corinthians 5, he might test them so they can see their fallenness. And if they are believers, that they would come back to the faith. And if they're not believers, they would ultimately end up in destruction. In 2 Timothy chapter number four, the Bible talks about a man named Demas who was a fellow apostle with, with, with Paul, who, who ministered with Paul and, and, and worked with him. And the Bible says that he forsook them because he loved this present world. He loved the things of this world. In 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul talks about disciplining his own body or disciplining his own flesh so that he would not himself become disqualified. He would not himself become or, or fall away. So he disciplined his flesh, his, his fleshly desires, those types of things. He disciplined those things so he, he wouldn't be given to those things and become, a, uh, the text says, a castaway or somebody who is no longer qualified to lead. 
And then the apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter number one, he says, even if I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which you have believed, he says, let him be accursed or let him be anathema. And this is a, final, this is a term of final judgment. The apostle Paul recognized even in his own ministry, in his own life, that he himself had the ability to fall away. And he warns the people of Galatians that even if I preach a different gospel to you than the gospel of grace, and that's what the whole book of Galatians is about. It's a a book that discerns between grace and works. And Apostle Paul says, I, I, an apostle of the Lord, if I ever preach anything to you other than the gospel of grace, if I ever preach to you anything other than we are saved by grace and grace alone, that there is no works that we have to bring to the table, that there isn't a 99%, 1% that we bring to make salvation possible. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved. We are saved by the, by the special gifting of God. And through the work of Jesus Christ, that salvation is possible. Jesus Christ applies, the God, the Father, applies the blood of Jesus Christ to our life and that makes us saved. We're, we're alive, we're awakened. As Jesus says in John 3 when he talks about you must be born again to Nicodemus, that takes place and it takes place because of the grace of God. It takes place because of his goodness and his favor. But the apostle Paul says, if I, if I ever preach anything other than the fact that God is gracious, and that his grace is enough, his grace is sufficient, Jesus Christ is, is, is enough, then he says, let me be anathema. Let me be accursed. He understood his own possibility of falling. He doesn't only stop there, but he says, even if the angels from heaven, if an angel were to come down from heaven and to teach anything to you other than the gospel of grace, the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. He says, let them, let the angels also be anathema. Let them also be accursed. It is so important that as we follow people, and listen, we are called to follow people. We are called to have mentors. The apostle Paul says in in, um, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse one, follow me while while I follow Christ. Having a mentor is not a bad thing. Having a mentor is a necessary thing if you're going to make it through life in the right. But never put your apples in that mentor's basket. Make sure that your apples are in Jesus' basket. Make sure that your focus is on not what your mentor is, but what Jesus is and what Jesus is using your mentor to accomplish in your life. If you begin to trust in your mentor, you've lost focus of who you're supposed to be truly trusting in. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear in cha- the whole chapter, chapter number four, he said, be careful because there will be mentors who will fall away. And in a day and age that we live in where people just simply believe anything, we, we do live in that day and age, don't we? People believe whatever they're told. And isn't it even more significant if somebody that you're close to, that you've looked up to, that you've respected for a long period of time tells you something? Isn't it even easier to believe somebody who has been your spiritual mentor or leader who begins to tell you something that's not biblically correct? 
This is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in chapter number four. He's not talking about somebody walking up to you and saying, hey, I don't really know you, but I'm gonna tell you this error. He's talking about people who you have followed, who you have believed are telling the truth, and they fall away from the truth. And they begin to teach you error. They begin to say things or live things or function in such a way that it doesn't line up with grace. It doesn't line up with grace. And if it doesn't line up with grace, it's wrong. It's error. And then, according to Romans 16 and verse 17, the Bible says, mark those, mark those, identify those who cause division contrary to the doctrines that I have taught you. In other words, Paul says, mark those who cause division contrary to grace. And he says, avoid them. He doesn't just say it in Romans, but he says it also to Timothy as well. We must understand that we live in a culture of people that believe what they're told. We must become more diligent, if, we, if you will, in discerning and, and looking and studying and determining whether or not our mentors or leaders are leading us in the right direction. Are they leading us to grace? Are they living in grace Are their families an example of grace? Is their lifestyle a picture of grace? All of these things are important for us to know that we're going in the right direction. I'm reminded of what's said in Acts 17, speaking of the people uh, who were called Bereans. It says, and these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. In other words, they were constantly comparing what they were told by the apostles. I mean, of all people, you just believe what the apostles say, right? They're they're the apostles. And these people were called noble, more noble. Why? Because they went and they studied from God's word to see if what they were being told was actually biblical. It's so important that we understand that we, we, we do follow, we do look to mentors and examples and we're supposed to have them in the church and in our lives and, 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 and in a lot of different areas. But, but it's also important that we are, are careful and cautious not to blindly trust them. We blindly trust the Lord, right? We blindly trust the Lord. We do not blindly trust men. That is what this chapter is all about. So I want to give you this morning, in in the next few minutes, I want to give you some things to to consider about this um, danger, some cautions, if you will, some things to look for in your mentors, or if you're possibly looking for a mentor, some things to look for, to be cautious about when you are in this process. So go back with me to... The fourth chapter, you're probably already there. The first point this morning is know what's dangerous to the gospel life. Know what is dangerous to the gospel life. And when I I say the gospel life, it's just the life of grace. It's what Paul is calling Timothy to when he says the aim in chapter 1 and verse 5, he says the aim of all of these things is, is love. When he says the aim of all of these things, the Apostle Paul is saying the aim of all of this is grace. It is, it is unconditional, unmerited, undeserved love for everyone. That's what we're called to. 
That's what we're supposed to be living out daily as a manifestation of Christ in us. So what are some dangers to the gospel life? You'll notice in the first few verses, he says, now the Spirit expressly says in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, the teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You'll notice a few things about this, the phraseology that's used here. It talks about, first of all, it talks about demonic forces, right? De- deceitful spirits and teaching of demons, okay? And then it says, through in the insincerity of liars. And that's where, the, that's where the human piece comes in. We want to remember this, that every attack that's made on the gospel of Jesus Christ is a demonic attack, Okay, there's a, there's a demonic force that's behind the attacks on the gospel of grace. Whenever the gospel of grace is under attack, there's a demonic force behind it. However, let us not neglect to see that it is also carried out or manifested by people. Okay? It is, it is taught, it is preached, it is ministered by people. In the same way that the truth is always based upon the Holy Spirit, Right? but it is often ministered by by us, by the truth, by Christians, truth bearers, okay? In the same way, the error, the attacks that there are on the gospel of Christ are also demonic attacks, but carried out by, the Bible says, deceitful liars that um, have no conscience, okay? And we'll look at what that means to have no conscience So what is the cause? Really quick, what is the cause of these dangers? He says deceitful spirits, okay? These are voices that we hear. 1 John tells us to discern the spirits. Um, You you will hear things uh, as you go through life. There will be things that you'll hear in your mind or you'll hear in your heart or whatever that will be directing you and guiding you. And and folks, oftentimes... If you're like me, oftentimes the, ver- the first voice that I hear in my head is not the voice of grace, is it? Is that th- when somebody comes up and attacks you, is the first voice that you hear, just open your arms and give them a big hug. Is that, anybody got that voice going on, the first one? Yeah, me neither, right? The first voice that I hear is, is oftentimes or rarely is it grace, you know what that is? That's a deceitful spirit. I'm hearing the spirit that is not the spirit of the Lord. That is the source. That is the source. That is what's behind all things that move us away from grace and love and faith. So it is a, de- a deceitful spirit, a, a lying spirit. This is why Satan is called the father of lies in John chapter number 8. In John chapter number 10, this is why Jesus is, uh, the devil is said to be, um, uh, a, his goal is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Okay, this is, this is what he's all about. So behind it all, the root of it all, is when you hear spirits, whether they're coming out of people's mouths or whether they're in your ears on their own, that are not pointing you to grace, to the love of the gospel, to what Jesus Christ has done. They are deceitful spirits, they are lying spirits, and they're, they're to be rejected. Imagine how much of our conflicts would go away if we stopped listening to the deceitful spirits and started listening to the spirit of grace. Grace. 
the spirit of Christ. The teaching of demons is the next thing that he says, the next root. He says not only is it deceitful spirits, but it's the teaching of demons. The, the, the idea here is, the idea there is voices. The idea here is, is messages. It's uh, doctrines. Uh, I think the King James actually uses the word doctrine of demons. This is the idea that there are messages, there are, teaching, there are teachings out there that are demonic in nature. And those teachings are to be avoided. We get these teachings from, at the end, we get these teachings from books. We can get these teachings from preachers that are on television or preachers that are not on television. But these are doctrines that are out there that point us away from Christ. Folks, remember this. Any doctrine that adds to or takes away from what Jesus Christ has done is a demonic doctrine. It means it comes straight out of the pits of hell. It is dangerous to your Christian life and to my Christian life, but yet we face it every single day, don't we? We wake up in the morning and we face that demonic teaching and often the demonic voices. And then he says it's through, so two of the backgrounds of it is it's through demonic voices and demonic doctrines, and then lastly, it's through teachers who have a seared conscience. In other words, the only way that it is possible to teach a message that takes away from Christ or adds to Christ is if you have no passion for people. You have no conscience of people. You have no love for people. The gospel is about, about Christ doing a work for us to save us, to redeem us. He loved us. God loved the world. This is what the gospel is about. If we have a seared conscience towards people, we don't love them. We have no sense of compassion for them. We have no mercy for them. We, we are then led into these, to these doctrines that move us away from being grace-oriented to being greed-oriented. This is why ministries out there can sap people's money that are the poorest people in the world and can take their money in and not think twice about how it's impacting and affecting them. Do you know why? Because they have no conscience. I could not, I could not walk up to a homeless person and take their money. Do you know why? Because I have a conscience. And people who do that have no this is what he's talking about. They have no conscience. We need to get back to a place where we love and have mercy and have compassion on mankind because they are image bearers of God. That is the cause of these dangers. What is the content of these dangers? Twofold, the text tells us, number one is legalism. Legalism is simply a, a rules-oriented righteousness. It's like we, we want you to merit your righteousness. We want you to earn your righteousness. Uh, uh, legalism points us to what we have done or what we have not done. It's all about do's and don'ts. It takes us away from Jesus and points us to ourselves. This is a doctrine of demons. 
Any message that points you away from Christ and points you to your accomplishments or lack thereof is a demonic doctrine. Legalism. Titus 3 and verse 5, the Bible says he saved us not because of works that we have done, not because of works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his own mercy by the washing and regenerating and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Any message, if Paul says, if I or an angel from heaven preach a message that says you have to do something to earn God's favor, let me be anathema, let me be accursed. May our message May our ministry and may our lifestyle point people to a gospel that is freely given by God to all who believe and place their faith in Jesus Christ. The second content of these dangers is Gnosticism. Gnosticism is just simply an intellectual-based religion. It's earned righteousness based upon your knowledge of secrets or or mystical concepts. The gospel is to be simple, the simplicity of the gospel. The apostle Paul says that he was concerned that we were moving away from the simplicity of the gospel. These are the two, these are two dangers, let me say it this way, these are two dangers that it's very easy to move into. If you're sitting on the truth now, it's very easy to add legalism or to add Gnosticism into it. Matter of fact, the more we grow in the Lord, the more we know, right? The more we grow, the more we know, and the more we know, the more we think we know. It's easy to become elevated. The more we grow, the more we do the right things, it's easy to become elevated. It's easy to see legalism or Gnosticism creeping into someone's life that before used to be solid on the gospel of grace. That's, where they're swir- that's why he uses the word swerving from the truth. The condemnation of these dangers is simple. Galatians 1, 8, 9, I read them to you earlier. Even though we, even if I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, let them be anathema. There's a great judgment upon those who preach another gospel. James tells us in James 3 and verse 1, he tells us not to be many masters. And the idea, some say that Some say that it means that not many people to be masters or teachers. Others say that they believe that it means not for teachers to be many teachers, but to be focused on what they're supposed to be teaching on. I think there's an an accuracy to interpreting, interpreting that both ways. If we're not called to be leaders or teachers, not to pursue it or try to make it happen, but in addition to that, be focused on what we're called to. Not be trying to teach everybody in the world, but be focused on what God has called us to. Number two, first of all, know the dangers to the gospel life. Number two, know what's dependable to the gospel life. There are three things that he says in this text very quickly. Number one, he says, now the Spirit expressly says. I I love that phrase. It's very simple, but it says this. Listen, when you're in these moments, guess who you can lean on? Guess who can correct your swerving? It's the Spirit of God. Man, John 14 through John 16, the Bible says that the Spirit's purpose in being given to us is that he might teach us the things that we're supposed to know. He lives inside here. 
and he's constantly teaching me the things that I need to know. And when I start swerving to the right or swerving to the left, the spirit of God is there to help veer me back. Or if my mentor starts swerving to the right or my mentor starts swerving to the left, the spirit of God is there to guide me back. When you can't trust your mentor or you can't trust your leader, remember this, you can trust God's spirit. You can trust the spirit of God. The spirit of God expressly says this to us, that this is right and this is wrong. Who is dependable when our leaders are not? The spirit of God is. Some of us need to spend time. Listen, some of us need to spend time on our face dealing with the spirit of God. Some of us need to spend time in prayer. We, we, are, we, are, a, we are a type of people, we are a generation of people that's, that go from one book to another book to another book. And you know who we give very little time to talk to us through the word of God? We don't give the spirit any time. We're ultimately becoming followers of men and not followers of God. We've got to get back to where we spend time in the word and we listen to the spirit of God as he teaches us what it says. You know, one of the, one of the biggest arguments that non-Christians have about, about us is that we don't, even believe, we don't even believe what's in the Bible. We don't even believe what the Bible says that we claim to believe. And the reason is, is because we've become so far off track by other guidances, and, I, and they can be healthy, but folks, listen, at the end of the day, the only thing that you can trust to be sure is God's spirit teaching you God's, teaching you God's, do you guys know, you guys, it's God's word, <laughs> you know that. How many of you know another book that was inspired by God? Is there any, I mean, I'm just, is there any? There's None. Does anybody know another book that God said the Spirit will teach you? There's none. The Spirit of God is the thing that we can depend upon when we start to veer to the right or to the left, maybe because we're reading a book that veers to the right or to the left. What do we do? We lean on the Spirit of God. Not only the Spirit of God is sure in these moments, but he says also at the end of uh, verse number um, four, he says that these things are made holy or these things are distinguished, these things are d discerned, these things are identified by the word of God and prayer. So the word of God is also something that is sure in these, in these challenging times. And then lastly, prayer is also sure in these challenging times. So what is dependable? What is dependable when we don't know if our leader or mentor is going down the right path? The Holy Spirit is dependable, the word of God is dependable, and prayer is dependable. Ask God for it. I've often said this about prayer. Prayer helps you know what God's will is. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I, I simply mean this. First John says, if you ask anything that's in accordance with his will, you have it, right? So if I ask something of the Lord and it's not in accordance with his will, then guess what? I don't have it. If I ask something of the Lord that's in accordance with his will, he says that I have it. So I get to discern what God's will is by asking him for things and watching him work in my life. By watching him give and withhold. 
I get to discern that by asking. Some of us don't want to ask God for certain things because we know it's not his will, so we just work it out on our own. It's true, isn't it? We just figure it out on our own. What the Lord says is, hey, if you have a need, ask me. If it's in my will, I'll give it to you. So our response says, is, Lord, I need this. Can you give it to me? And the Lord says later, and we're like, okay, thanks, Lord. I'll, I'll go get it. Right? It's hard sometimes to ask the Lord for things and then to wait for him to accomplish it for us or through us. Know, know what the dangers are to our Christian life. And then know, um, know, secondly, know the content of these dangers and know what we can depend upon. Number three, know what should dominate the Christian life. The Apostle Paul says in the middle of this passage that while bodily exercise profits some, godliness is of great profit. So here's what he says in the middle. Here's what he identifies. What should my mentor be driving me to? Should my mentor be driving me to greater works? Should my mentor be driving me to greater intellect? Or should my mentor be driving me to godliness? And godliness, remember this, godliness has nothing to do with external works. It has nothing to do with intellect. Godliness has to do with what's going on in your heart. Is your mentor driving you to a heartfelt walk with the Lord? Because yeah, it will impact your externals, but its focus is not on your externals. Its focus is on what's going on inside of your heart. To be driving people to godliness. You say, Pastor John, what's the definition of godliness? Just go back to the last chapter, the very last verse. Godliness is the expression of Christ. It is the manifestation of Christ. What should my mentor be driving me to? What should they be pushing me to? And we as mentors here in the church, what should we be driving our people to? It is the manifestation of Christ. That's what we're called to push people into. And Christ Listen, Romans 5 and verse 8, here it is. Greater love, it's um, that God manifested his love toward us in Christ. So what do we do? We manifest Christ's love for everyone. Lastly, so know what, know what should dominate the gospel life. Then lastly, know what a leader's devotion should be in the gospel life. Know what a leader should be devoted to. So know what your mentor, your leader should be focused on if they are a gospel-centered, if they're leading you to gospel um, uh, peace and quiet and, and service and love. And here's what he says. He says this to Timothy at the end of chapter number four. He says, first of all, be an example. The first thing that a leader should be devoted to is to exemplify the glory of Christ, to, to live out what Christ has done within them, okay? I think it's important to notice that the Apostle Paul puts example above teaching because 
It is more important to exemplify the truth than it is to teach it. Okay, Romans 2 talks about people who, who teach people not to lie or not to steal, but they steal themselves. Okay, it's important to live out, to, to manifest, to, to people to look at us and say, man, that's the life that Christ wants for me. That's where it starts. Apostle Paul says to Timothy, hey, don't let anybody, don't let anybody look down on you for your youth, but be an example to believers uh, in word, in, um, in deed, in, in, uh, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Be an example to them. Then he says, not only that, but he says, until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture. So the second thing is, first example, second is reading of the word of God, publicly reading the word of God, and he places an emphasis on actually, the emphasis is on the word of God. It's like what I'm doing this morning is exhorting. Okay, I'm not even just reading what, what Eric did was just read the word of God. That's a part of it. Give your focus, give your life, give your passion to just simply reading the word of God to people. And then he goes on to say exhorting, which is encouraging and, and uh, encouraging and motivating people to do the things that they've learned. And then lastly, he goes on to teaching, which is to have a focusing on the doctrines, um, learning, teaching, um, whatever has to do with doctrine that's kind of compiled into that, into that word. So we, we, your mentor should be number one, an example of godliness. Number two should be reading the word of God, should be focused on encouraging and, and exhorting, and, and number three should be focused also on teaching. And then the last thing that he says is this, do not neglect the gift that is within you. The, the last thing that the apostle Paul says to Timothy about being a good mentor and a good leader is this, Give your life to your gift. Give your life to your spiritual gift. He, he even says, he says, immerse yourself in it. Immerse your life in your spiritual gift. Where has, where has God gifted you? Many of us don't even know, or we, we run around from here and there, and we try to be involved in everything, or we try to be in control of everything. The Lord says, give yourself, immerse yourself in what you're gifted with. Folks, listen to me. You do not want a leader or a mentor who is talented. You want a leader or a mentor who is spirit-filled. True? Can I get an amen? amen? That is directly related to their gifting. It is 100% directly related to their gifting. If you're gonna be a leader, sell yourself out to what you have been gifted with. Serve the Lord. Be an example of somebody who is gifted and sold out to that gifting. It's interesting because he uses a very similar terminology at the beginning of this um, when he says that they devoted themselves to deceitful spirits. At the end, he says, devote yourself to your spiritual gifting. Give yourself to it. So my challenge to you this morning is we need mentors. Everybody in here needs a mentor in their life. Know this, mentors will fail. Mentors will fail. If you're a mentor, be cautious of that. If you're looking for a mentor, be aware of that. Trust the Lord and what the Lord is doing through that person. Be aware of those things that are easily, that can easily move us astray. 
that we can be easily moved astray to. Watch our mentor's life and as he, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, as he follows Christ, you follow him. And then in the end, we'll be fine. And we'll be, as he says at the very last verse, he says, persist on this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Thank you so much, Lord, for this time together this morning. Help us, Lord, to hear what your word has to say. Give us humble hearts, teachable hearts. Um, We pray, Lord God, that uh, our response to your word would be pleasing to you and um, that we would be able to have mentors in our life that would be able to guide us and direct us in accordance with the direction that you have for us. Bless um, the remainder of our time together in Christ's name.